streaming across the internet at the speed of sound. It's 7 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast of America. Good morning, America. How are you? It's uh, 3 p.m. in London, 7.30 in Mumbai, India, 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan. And in Malaysia, it's 1964. I'm the guy without the pants, Jay Sheldon. Howdy, hello, hi, Serena. Uh, Ms. Lee, I'll, I'll call you Ms. Lee. I don't know what your pronouns are, but I think I know. <laughs> anyway, welcome. Thanks for liking the stream. Hello, uh, live across Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and uh, rumble.com, of course. We're always on Rumble. And you can find all of our past 211 shows. Can you believe it? We've done 211 of these bad boys. And uh, boy, if you go back to look at those first 10 episodes, <laughs> how far we've come. Or have we? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been unbelievable. It's been so hot here in Malaysia. Look, it's always hot, okay? That's a given. That's a stipulation we can all agree to. But for the last two or three days, it has been a scorcher. Unbelievable. I have no idea what the temperature is. It says it's 31 Celsius right now. I And again, the sun's been down for a few hours. I would have to believe during the day it's been up around 35, 36. Uh, I'm kind of getting used to Celsius, by the way, like the rest of the world, except you folks in the U.S. It has been unbelievably hot. Uh, we even wait until later than usual to take Miko for her walk because uh, it's just it's just too hot for man or beast. And speaking of beasts, Miko update. <laughs> uh, she is a beast. She is quite a beast. In fact, she proved that just a couple of days ago. I've told you the story a million times, I'm sure, that Miko is a Shiba Inu. Uh, by the way, I've got my Life is Better with a Shiba Inu shirt on tonight. Um, she's a Shiba Inu, and Shiba basically means brush, you know, like brush in the woods, under not a hairbrush, brush outside. And Inu is dog in Japanese, so bush dog or bush, yeah, bush dog, Shiba Inu. They were used and bred and raised to uh, hunt small prey and, you know, squirrels, rabbits, things like that. The prey drive is as strong in this breed as it was way back when. She, We have these shrews here. I call them scrats because they look like scrat from Ice Age. They do look like a squirrel-rat combination. We have rats also, of course. We have, these are sort of the native squirrels, but they're they're like, they're not shrews. I forget what they're called. Anyway, they're these weird little things that look like scrat from Ice Age. And they're all over the place. And we have a couple of rats because of the layout of these link houses with the alleys and the gullies on the side and unbelievably ridiculous sewage systems here. But anyway, uh, yeah, every place has it, no matter how good or bad your neighborhood is. You can't, you can't avoid them. It's like cockroaches. You just try, try and keep everything as clean as you can. Well, anyway, we have a spot on the side way in the back of our yard that's kind of out of view, and it's where I store old pots and pieces of wood and old crap and junk that I don't want or need and just haven't been able to get to the front yard to throw away yet. 
She hangs out back there because that's where she sees the scrats and the rats. And she is bound and determined to catch one. Well, guess what? Yeah, she actually caught one. And I sort of have it on. Now, this is the area here. You can see, obviously, it's uh, it's not the nicest looking place. It's got a back gate, but it's like permanently locked. And all the old piles of wood, a couple of old bonsai pots and things. Well, take a look at this. This is Miko's first kill. Um, it's a rat. Not a big one. But nevertheless, I was very worried that she was going to uh, protect her kill. She was extremely proud of herself. And I don't think she killed it by biting it. What, one of the things that Shibas do is when they bite, they'll shake their head like crazy. And I think probably she shook it to death certainly mauled it but there you go and she i know this is kind of gross but hey life goes on folks it's what they were bred to do and uh yeah so that's that's miko's big news she finally got herself a kill i don't know how i feel about that but like i said it's just kind of sort of nature doing its thing so okay Anyway, one less rat in the neighborhood isn't a bad thing. Okay, Malaysia. Time to pull your head out of your ass again. I mean, seriously. <laughs> this applies here, but if you're listening to in other parts of the world, you can either listen and shake your head at exactly how stupid some of these people are. Or maybe something like this is happening or has happened or will happen where you live. I kind of doubt it because most of the rest of the world does not have their head buried so far up their butt that they can't see. But we are slowly getting ourselves out of this ridiculous lockdown and pandemic rules. Masks, which we all know are completely useless, are still required in some areas, but not outdoors and open areas that aren't crowded and blah, blah, bullshit. Anyway, uh, you know, they, they basically the whole check-in tracking thing that they had with your phone, that's pretty much thrown out the window. Uh, but some businesses, believe it or not, are still closed. Some businesses that rely very heavily on customers for entertainment and making money are still closed. And that includes nightclubs. Well, they are expecting to begin opening nightclubs here in the next month or two. And then this headline appears. The headline for our show tonight was Footloose Lives On in Malaysia, or Footloose Lives. You remember the movie Footloose with Kevin, uh, Kevin, not Kevin, not Kevin Costner. Anyway, the Kevin guy. Boy, my brain today, I think it fried from the heat. Anyway, yeah, here's the headline. No dancing is expected to be a rule when nightclubs reopen. <laughs> Not only no dancing, but no close contact. In a nightclub. Hello, McFly. Dancing may not be allowed. Uh, nightclubs reopen on May 15th. So that's like this coming Sunday. Uh, Two-year COVID hiatus. Business leaders say and that is exactly 
what the ailing industry needs to get back on its feet, to open up their clubs, to allow dance. You know, you're in a club. It's crowded. There are people everywhere. What is the difference if you're standing around or if you're dancing? Oh, I just... I'm at a loss for words, obviously. Regulations for the safe opening of nightclubs are yet to be released. Uh, Those in business who've attended discussions with the health ministry say that clubbers can expect a... (laughs) It's laughable just to say it. A no-dancing, no-close-contact rule. The likely SOPs, according to David Gurupatham, the co-founder of the Trade Coalition Industries Unite says the likely SOPs are that there will be no dancing and perhaps a situation where we will have to implement crowd control to make sure it's not too crowded. We don't want any sudden spikes, which would lead to the clubs being closed again. The government has said that all remaining premises on National Security Council's negative list, namely nightclubs, will be allowed to operate beginning on May 15th, that is this Sunday, and of course, You can't dance. Well, it's all because your mama don't dance and your daddy don't rock and roll. I'm going to get a copyright strike for singing that song, aren't I? Okay. No, I didn't sing it that well, so I'm sure it'll pass. Anyway, you're morons. Your rules are stupid. Too bad we don't have a thing called civil disobedience in this country because we sure the hell could use some. Uh, What else we got going on that's stupid? Oh, yeah, stupid newspapers. We've made fun of the Malay Mail before because they deserve it. Uh, They are clickbait, headline bait people, and they write headlines that are totally deceiving and uh, made to make you think one way when the facts actually are something else altogether. You know these moron fact checkers like on Facebook? and uh, Does Twitter use fact checkers? I, I don't know. I've never been, well, no, I wasn't fast che- uh, fact-checked, but I will tell you a quick YouTube story coming up about our last show, in fact. But anyway, the, the morons at the Malay Mail um, popped this onto their headline, and of course, you can see the theory behind it. Everybody here in Malaysia and probably other parts of Southeast Asia that only get their news from idiot places like CNN and MSNBC and all those other liars. Um, You know, they have an image of the U.S. that it's all this Wild West gun-toning, everybody has a gun, people get shot in the street all the time. Uh, You know, all the usual crap that they put out there. People here actually believe that junk. Uh, Believe me, I've got plenty of friends who post about it and who actually believe some of the crap that they get because their only news source is CNN or MSNBC or one of the other mainstream media liars. Anyway, here's the headline. U.S. gun death soared in 2020 amid pandemic, says CDC report. Okay, so what do you get out of that headline? Oh, my God. Death and destruction. People are shooting each other on the street. You can't go out in, in the streets and the big cities in the U.S. because you'll get shot. You'll be killed. Wrong. Here's the actual data. While it is true that gun death soared in 2020, this from U.S. Facts, firearm deaths include all deaths involving guns. Homicide, suicide, and accidents. More people in the U.S. 
died from suicide involving a firearm than homicides or accidents. Now, the numbers are staggering anyway, and it is a shame. I'm not downplaying the fact that it's an issue. But in 2020, there were 45,222 firearm deaths in the U.S. That's an increase of 14%. 5,155 more firearm deaths from 2019 in 2020. That's the increase in a chart right there. Again, if you're listening on the podcast, you can check out a link in our show notes, which has this article in it. You can also go to rumble.com, watch the video and see the uh, article. It is uh, posted right here now. Uh, So there is the chart as it's increased. It's been on a steady increase from the year, say, about 2000 or so. Um, But now here's the one that the Malay Mail could actually look at and try not to write such misleading headlines. This number right here, these are deaths from suicide with firearms. Far and above. Homicides, accidents, all those things. So, Malay Mail, stop it with the bullcrap headlines and try writing accurate ones that don't mislead people. That'd be a good idea, wouldn't it? All right. What else we got? Uh, Oh, I know. Good news department. Yeah, we had, you know, we had a couple of heavy things in the beginning, so I knew I was going to want to move on up into something not so heavy. So first, a quick Miko mug coffee break. Hang on. Mmm. And the plug. The top link in our show notes tonight, that's the description down below, will get you to Miko Merchandise, which has our show logo, uh, Miko on, on this mug. We also got uh, notepads, T-shirts, ball caps, hoodies, uh, stickers, all kinds of cool stuff. Just click on the top link in our show notes and you want to buy something, buy something, please. All right. Uh, you can also head over, by the way, to patreon.com slash Sheldon. You can become a, uh, a sponsor and a, a Patreon member over there. You get some little bonus goodies. You can just donate what is basically a price of a cup of coffee once a month to help out the show. Or there are some other different tier levels where you get some little bonuses, including some voiceover work. Imagine that, huh? (laughs) All right. This is both a good news story and a horribly bad news story. I've complained about it and made comments about it before, how people spend their whole day like this on their phone. Their whole world lives right here on this phone and the rest of the world can burn down around them and they would have no idea. How many videos out there can you find on all the different video platforms, Rumble, YouTube, if you still use YouTube, of people that walk into pools or into manholes or into traffic because they're so focused on their phones, the rest of the world closes off. Well, while this is a good story with a happy ending, and thank goodness for this little guy, this is also a story about a mother who should not have kids. And if we had an active child and family services department in this country, they would be bringing a case against this woman to take her kid from her. I'm serious. 
World of Buzz, the headline, uh, the story rather, is in our, uh, our show notes. A Malaysian boy saves a toddler from drowning at a hotel pool while her mother was occupied with her phone. Yeah, there is the little guy, and he is, uh, he is a hero. Parents, obviously, your job is to keep your eye on your kids. They will uh, never expect the kind of danger situations that uh, may lie ahead. One toddler almost drowned while her mother was preoccupied with her damn phone. If it wasn't for the quick thinking of an 11-year-old little boy, this guy right here, Dr. Muiz Murad, I hope I'm saying your name right, Doc, he took to his Twitter page to showcase his son, who uh, his son Ali, who had noticed the distressed toddler and saved her life before anything bad could happen. Uh, he wrote, my son the hero. Ali just saved a toddler from drowning at the hotel pool in KL, Kuala Lumpur. It's our capital city. Well, it's not, but kind of is. Uh, so proud of him. The toddler was playing with her big sisters in a big float. The sisters thought the toddler had her floaty on. You know, those water wing things. Uh, the toddler slipped off the floaty into the water and did not have her little floaty wings on. Thankfully, Ali was there all the time. Ali saw the whole thing happen. The toddler already was in the water. Quickly, he swam over and pulled her out, gasping for air and crying. Give it another 10 seconds, and things would have turned out very much the worst, Dr. Muiz added. All in all, Dr. Muiz had one piece of advice for parents out there. Please supervise and monitor your kids at the hotel pool. Most pools do not have a lifeguard on duty. And in this case, the toddler's mother was busy with her phone. He says, I'm actually pretty shaken up from it all. Ali is calm and collected. The toddler's mom was oblivious to the whole thing. And now the big sister wants to be friends with Ali. My son, on the other hand, speaks broken Malay, he explained. Um, so yeah, if you're taking your kids to the pool, you need to keep an eye on them. And the best piece of advice I can give you is put down your damn phone for two seconds and keep an eye on your kids. I'm serious about what I said. If we had a proper child and family services department in this country, this lady should lose her kids. She is not responsible enough. And this guy, Ali, congratulations to you, man. You're our hero of the week. Fantastic. Wow. Yes, that's the neighbor's dogs chiming in in the background. They talked to me earlier today, wanted to be part of the show. I said, no way you're getting on the show. Miko has her own spotlight, and that's enough. So they said, fine, we'll just bark through the whole episode. So that's why you, you hear them in the background. <laughs> All right, one more, and then we got to head over to our book. Some big news about our book tonight, too, by the way. All right, check this out. I love these little weirdo things. Um, kind of like this show. Interestingengineering.com. The link's in our show notes down below if you want to read the whole article. But scientists have captured 
thousand dice. You know dice. One, two, three, four, five, six on the little cube. You throw them. Dice. 25,000 dice have been captured ordering themselves perfectly in a cylinder. They were testing compact dynamics on non-spherical objects. The application apparently can be applied to space travel. But there you go. There's a picture. And uh, uh, there's some details in here about what they did. They shook or rotated this cylinder. It's a glass cylinder or plastic or something. And they're all just randomly stacked in there. They just threw them all in there. And then within a very short amount of time, they actually all, look at that, the picture on the right. They all arranged themselves just perfectly lined up. Seeing these dice organize themselves through compaction dynamics, you know, compacted, squeezed down. Fascinating. We'll take you back to the early days of your old physics courses. Uh, compaction dynamics has an interesting effect on granular materials like snow, nuts, coal, sand, rice. Okay, yes. No, I don't want to get that in my daily mailbox. Um, rice, coffee grains. And why do we care? Well, because it comes in handy where granular materials are commercially important, like pharmaceuticals, agriculture, and energy production. So what they did was they took all these dice, they put them willy-nilly inside these tubes, they gave it a shake and timed how long and how accurately the dice would all arrange themselves. And take a look, that is the results. They all lined up perfectly. Unbelievable. Again, there's more details if you want to get into the science of it and exactly how they did the experiment. You can check out the link in our show notes down below. But it's it's actually a really cool article. You don't have to be a scientist to appreciate it. But check it out. Please do. Uh, another little weird one. It's in our show notes, which again is down below. I, I Just briefly, I didn't have it queued up, so I can't show you. But in our last show, in fact, one of our headlines was that Malaysia became number one. And... The number one was the number one searches for porn sites. Yeah, number one. Number four in the whole world. Number one in the ASEAN region. Anyway, I put a link to the World of Buzz article in my show notes. When I got off the air, about an hour later, there was a hit from YouTube on my channel saying, you violated the community standards. There's a link on your page that leads to nudity. And porn. <laughs> so we're not giving you a strike. We're giving you a warning because it's your first incident. Anyway, I wrote them back. I appealed it. And I said, no, that does not link to a porn site. It links to an article about searches for a porn site. You morons! Anyway, they took the warning off and they reactivated the link in our last show. So it's back. It's there. I was right. You were wrong, YouTube. Shut up and sit down. Go sit down in the corner. Okay. You ready? Big announcement on our book. We got some complaints. Well, not complaints, but some comments that they really, people really were not that much into the grim fairy tales. I put it up there because I, I thought they were kind of interesting, but okay, to be honest, some of them were a little bit eh, not so interesting. I don't want to say boring because it's the grim fairy tales. They're all cool. But anyway, 
this show's for you guys, not for me. I'm here anyway, so, you know, I got to listen to it. But anyway, in the interest of keeping you guys happy, which is what I'm here for, uh, we decided we'd switch books, and we're going to start tonight. So we're going to begin a brand new book tonight. Uh, We'll save the Grimm Brothers for maybe another era somewhere down the road, but we picked a good one. In fact, we had two people suggest they went to Gutenberg.org. They've looked at all the different titles there. And and I love this suggestion. So I thought, yeah, why not? It is The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Ho, ho. Yes. Oh, my. I cannot wait. This uh, published uh, by author Arthur Conan Doyle. I believe it's Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. In uh, 1892, featuring, obviously, the consulting detective, Sherlock Holmes, which had been published in 12 monthly issues of the Strand magazine from 1891 to 1892. Uh, The only characters common to all 12 stories are Holmes and Dr. Watson, his assistant or friend. And all are related, all of them are written, in the first-person narrative from Dr. Watson's point of view. I thank you very much for the suggestion because this is a brilliant one, and, uh, and we love this. So let's get right into Chapter 1, Adventure 1, A Scandal in Bohemia. By the way, these chapters are broken up into sections, so likely we'll just do a section a night. It'll take about 15, 20 minutes, and uh, yeah, then that'll be a great way to break it up. To Sherlock Holmes, she is always the woman. I've seldom heard him mention her under any other name. In his eyes, she eclipses and dominates the whole of her sex. It was not that he felt any emotion akin to love for Irene Adler. All emotions, and that one particularly, were abhorrent to his cold, precise, but admirably balanced mind. He was, I take it, the most perfect reasoning and observing machine that the world has ever seen. But as a lover, he would have placed himself in a false position. He never spoke of the softer passions, save with a jibe and a sneer, They were admirable things for the observer, excellent for drawing the veil from men's motives and actions, but for the trained reasoner to admit such intrusions into his own delicate and finely adjusted temperament was to introduce a distracting factor which might throw a doubt upon all his mental results. Grit in a sensitive instrument, or a crack in one of his own high-powered lenses— would not be more disturbing than a strong emotion in a nature such as his. And yet there was one, but one woman to him, and that woman was the late Irene Adler, of dubious and questionable memory. I'd seen little of Holmes lately. My marriage had drifted away us away from each other, and my own complete happiness and the home-centered interests which rise up around the man who first finds himself master of his own establishment were sufficient to absorb all my attention, while Holmes, who loathed every form of society with his whole bohemian soul, 
remained in our lodgings on Baker Street. Buried among his old books and alternating from week to week between cocaine and ambition. The drowsiness of the drug and the fierce energy of his own keen nature. He was still, as ever, deeply attracted by the study of crime and occupied his immense faculties and extraordinary powers of observation in following out these clues and clearing up these mysteries, which had been abandoned as hopeless by the official police. From time to time I heard some vague account of his doings, of his summons to Odessa in the case of the Trepoff murder, his family of the mission which he had accomplished so delicately and successfully for the reigning family of Holland. Beyond these signs of his activity, however, I was merely sharing with all the readers of the daily press. I knew little of my former friend and companion. One night, it was on the 20th of March in 1888, I was returning from a journey to a patient, for I had now returned to civil practice, when my way led me through Baker Street, as I passed the well-remembered door, which must always be associated in my mind with my wooing and the dark incidents of the study in Scarlet, I was seized with a keen desire to see Holmes again and to know how he was employing his extraordinary powers. His rooms were brilliantly lit, and even as I looked up, I saw his tall spire figure pass twice in a dark silhouette against the blind. He was pacing the room swiftly, eagerly, with his head sunk upon his chest and his hands clasped behind him. To me, who knew his every mood and habit, his attitude and manner told their own story. He was at work again. He'd arisen out of his drug-created dreams and was hot upon the scent of some new problem. I rang the bell and was shown up to the chamber which had formerly been, in part, my own. His manner was not effusive. It seldom was. But he was glad, I think, to see me. With hardly a spoken word, but with a kindly eye, he waved me to an armchair, threw across his case of cigars, and indicated a spirit case, and a gasogene in the corner. And then he stood before the fire and looked me over in his singular, introspective fashion. "'Wedlock suits you,' he remarked. "'I think, Watson, that you've put on seven and a half pounds since I saw you.' Seven, I answered. Indeed, I should have thought a little more, just a trifle more, I fancy, Watson. And in practice again, I observe, you did not tell me that you intended to go into harness. Then, how do you know? I see it. I deduce it. How do I know that you're getting yourself very wet lately, and that you have a most clumsy and careless servant girl? My dear Holmes, said I, this is too much. You would certainly have been burned had you lived a few centuries ago. It is true that I had a country walk on Thursday and came home in a dreadful mess, but as I've changed my clothes, I can't imagine how you deduce it. As to Mary Jane, she is incorrigible, and my wife has given her notice, but there again I fail to see how you worked it out. Well, he chuckled to himself and rubbed his long, nervous hands together. 
It is simplicity itself, said he. My eyes tell me that on the inside of your left shoe, just where the firelight strikes it, the leather is scored by six almost parallel cuts. Obviously, they've been caused by someone who was very carelessly scrapped around the edges of the sole in order to remove crusted mud from it. Hence, you see, my double deduction that you'd been out in vile weather and that you had a particularly malignant boot-slitting specimen of the London slavery. As to your practice, if a gentleman walks into my room smelling of rotiform with a black mark of nitrate of silver upon his right forefinger and a bulge on the side of his top hat to show where he's secreted his stethoscope, I must be dull indeed if I do not pronounce him to be an active member of the medical profession. I could not help but laugh at the ease with which he explained his process of deduction. When I hear you give your reasons, I remarked, the thing always appears to me to so be so ridiculously simple that I could easily do it myself, though at such excessive instance of your reasoning, I'm baffled until you explain your process. And yet, I believe my eyes are just as good as yours. Quite so, he answered, lighting a cigarette, throwing himself down into an armchair. You see, but you do not observe. The distinction is clear. For example, you have frequently seen the steps which lead up from the hall to this room? Frequently. How often? Well, some hundreds of times. How many stairs are there? How many? I don't know. Quite so. You have not observed, and yet you've seen. That is just my point. Now, I know there are 17 steps because I have both seen and observed. And by the way, since you're interested in these little problems, and since you're good enough to chronicle one or two of my trifling experiences, you may be interested in this. He threw a sheet of thick pink-tinted notepaper, which had been lying open on the table. It came by the last post, he said. Read it aloud. The note was undated, and without either signature or address. There will call upon you tonight at a quarter to eight o'clock, it said. A gentleman who desires to consult you upon a matter of the very deepest moment. Your recent services to one of the royal houses of Europe have shown that you are one who may safely be trusted with matters which are of importance which can hardly be exaggerated. This account of you we have from all quarters received. Be in your chamber, then, at the hour, and do not take it amiss if your visitor wears a mask. Oh, this is indeed a mystery, I remarked. What do you imagine it means? I have no data yet. It is a capital mistake to theorize before one has data. Insensibly, one begins to twist facts to suit theories, instead of theories to suit facts. And by the note itself, what do you deduce from it? I carefully examined the writing and the paper upon which it was written. The man who wrote it was presumably well-to-do, I remarked, endeavoring to imitate my companion's process. Such paper could not be bought under half a crown a packet. It is particularly strong and stiff. Peculiar, that is the very word, said Holmes. It is not an English paper at all. 
hold it to the light. I did so and saw a large E with a small G and a P and a large G with a small woven into the texture of the paper. What do you make of that, said Holmes? The name of the maker, no doubt, or his monogram, rather. Not at all. G with the small T stands for Gelishtaf, which is German for company. It's a customary contraction like our CO. P, of course, stands for Papier. Now for the EG. Let us glance at our Continental Gazetteer. He took down a heavy brown volume from his shelves. Iglo Elginitz. Ah, here we are. Egria. It is a German speaking country. In Bohemia, not far from Carlsbad. Remarkable as being the scene of the death of Wallenstein and for its numerous glass factories and paper mills. Ha ha, my boy, what do you make of that? Well, his eyes sparkled and he sent up a great blue triumphant cloud from his cigarette. The paper was made in Bohemia, I said. Precisely. And the man who wrote the note is a German. Do you note the peculiar construction of the sentence, the account of you we have from all quarters received? A Frenchman or Russian could not have written that, for it's the German who is so uncourteous to his verbs. It only remains, therefore, to discover what is wanted by this German who writes upon bohemian paper and prefers wearing a mask to showing his face. And here he comes, if I'm not mistaken to resolve all our doubts. As he spoke, there was a sharp sound of horses' hoofs and grating wheels against the curb, followed by a sharp pull at the bell. Holmes whistled. A pair by the sound, said he. Yes, he continued, glancing out the window. A nice little brogham and a pair of beauties, a hundred and fifty guineas apiece. There's money in his case, Watson, if there is nothing else. I think I'd better go, Holmes. Not a bit, Doctor. Stay right where you are. I'm lost without my Boswell, and this promises to be interesting. It would be such a pity to miss it. Uh, but your client... Never mind him. I may want your help. And so may he. Here he comes. Sit down in that armchair, Doctor, and give us your best attention. A slow and heavy step, which had been heard upon the stairs and in the passage, paused immediately outside the door. There was a loud and authoritative tap. Come in, said Holmes. A man entered who could hardly have been less than six feet six inches in height, with the chest and limbs of Hercules. His dress was rich with a richness which would in England be looked upon akin to bad taste. Heavy bands of Axtrenhan were slashed across the sleeves and fronts of his double-breasted coat. While the deep blue cloak which was thrown over his shoulders was lined with flame-colored silk and secured at the neck with a brooch which consisted of a single flaming barrel, boots which extended halfway up his calves, and which were trimmed at the tops with rich brown fur, completed the impression of barbaric opulence, which was suggested by his whole appearance. 
He carried a broad-brimmed hat in his hand, while he wore across a upper part of his face, extending down the past the cheekbone, a black vizard mask, which he'd apparently adjusted that very moment, for his hand was still raised to it as he entered. From the lower part of the face, he appeared to be a man of strong character, thick hanging lip and a long straight chin, suggestive of resolution pushed to the length of obstinacy. You had my note, he asked, with a deep, harsh voice and a strong, marked German accent. I told you I would call. He looked from one to the other of us, as if uncertain which to address. Pray, take a seat, said Holmes. This is my friend and colleague, Dr. Watson, who is occasionally good enough to help me with my cases. Whom have I the honor to address? You may address me as the Count von Kram, a bohemian nobleman. I understand this gentleman, your friend, is a man of honor and discretion, whom I may trust with a matter of the most extreme importance. If not, I should much prefer to communicate with you alone. I rose to go, but Holmes caught me by the wrist, pushed me back in the chair. It is both or none, said he. You may say before this gentleman anything that you may say to me. The Count shrugged his broad shoulders. Then I must begin, he said, by binding you both to absolute secrecy for two years. At the end of that time, the matter will be of no importance. At present, it is not too much to say that it is of such weight that it may have an influence upon European history. I promise, said Holmes, and I. You will excuse the mask continued our strange visitor. The august person who employs me wishes his agent to be unknown to you, and I may confess at once that the title by which I've just called myself is not exactly my own. I was aware of that, said Holmes dryly. The circumstances are of great delicacy, and every precaution has to be taken to quench what might grow to be an immense scandal and seriously compromise one of the reigning families of Europe. To speak plainly, the matter implicates the great house of Ornstein, hereditary kings of Bohemia. I was also aware of that, said Holmes, settling himself down in his armchair and closing his eyes. Our visitor glanced with some apparent surprise at the languid, lounging figure of the man who had been no doubt depicted to him as the most incisive reasoner and most energetic agent in Europe. Holmes slowly reopened his eyes and looked impatiently at his giant client. If your majesty would condescend to state your case, he remarked, I should be better able to advise you. The man sprang from his chair, paced up and down in the room in uncontrollable agitation, and then with a gesture of desperation, he tore the mask from his face and hurled it to the ground. You are right, he cried. I am the king. Why should I attempt to conceal it? Why, indeed, murmured Holmes. Your majesty has not spoken before I was aware that I was addressing Wilhelm Gottsreit Sixkismund von Ornstein, Grand Duke of Kasselfelstein and hereditary king 
of Bohemia. But can you understand, said the strange visitor, sitting down once more and pressing his hand over his high white forehead, you can understand that I'm not accustomed to doing such business in my own person. Yet the matter is so delicate that I could not confide it to an agent without putting myself in his power. I have some incognito from Prague for the purpose of consulting you. Then pray, consult, said Holmes, shutting his eyes once more. The facts, very briefly, are these. Some five years ago, during a lengthy visit to Warsaw, I made the acquaintance of the well-known adventurers Irene Adler. The name is no doubt familiar to you. Uh, kindly look her up in my index, doctor, murmured Holmes without opening his eyes. For many years he'd adopted a system of docketing all paragraphs concerning men and things, and so it was difficult to name a subject or person on which he could not at once furnish information. In this case, I found her biography sandwiched in between that of a Hebrew rabbi and that of a staff commander who'd written a monograph upon the deep-sea fishes. Let me see, said Holmes. Hmm. Born in New Jersey in the year 1858. Contralto, hum. La Scala, hmm. Prima Donna, Imperial, Opera of Warsaw. Yes, retired from operatic stage. Ha! Living in London, quite so. Your Majesty, as I understand, became entangled with this young person, wrote her some compromising letters, and is now desirous of getting those letters back. <clears throat> Precisely so, but how... There was a secret marriage? None. No legal papers or certificates? None. Then I fail to follow your majesty. If this young person should produce her letters for blackmailing or other purposes, how is she to prove their authenticity? There is the writing. Poop! Forgery! My private notepaper. Stolen! My own seal. Imitated! My photograph. Bought! We were both in the photograph. Oh dear, this is very bad. Your Majesty has indeed committed an indiscretion. It was mad, insane. You have compromised yourself seriously. I was only crown prince then. I was young, but I'm thirty now. It must be recovered. We have tried and failed. Your Majesty must pay. It must be bought. She will not sell. Stolen, then. Five attempts have been made. Twelve burglars in my pay ransacked her house. Once we diverted her luggage when she was traveling. Twice she'd been waylaid. There's been no result. No sign of it. Absolutely none. Holmes laughed. It's quite a pretty little problem, then, said he. But a very serious one to me, returned the king reproachfully. Very indeed, but... What does she propose to do with the photograph? To ruin me. But how? Well, I'm about to be married. So I've heard. To Clotilde Lothman van Sack meiningen second daughter of the King of Scandinavia. You may know the strict principles of her family. 
she is herself the very soul of delicacy. A shadow of a doubt as to my conduct would bring the matter to an end. And Irene Adler threatens to send them the photograph, and she will do it. I know that she will do it. You do not know her, but she has the soul of steel. She has the face of the most beautiful woman and the mind of the most resolute of men. Rather than I should marry another woman, there are no lengths to which she would not go. None. Are you sure she hasn't seen it yet? I'm sure. And why? Well, because she said she would send it on the day when the betrothal was publicly proclaimed, and that will be next Monday. Oh, then we have three days yet, said Holmes with a yawn. This is very fortunate, as I have one or two matters of importance to look into just at present. Your Majesty will, of course, stay in London for the present. Well, certainly you'll find me at the Lingham under the name of Count von Kram. Then I shall drop you a line to let you know how we progress. Pray do so. I shall be all anxiety. Uh, then, as to money, you have carte blanche. Absolutely. I tell you that I would give you one of my provinces of my kingdom to have that photograph. And for present expenses? The king took a heavy chamois leather bag from under his cloak and laid it on the table. There are three hundred pounds in gold and seven hundred in notes, said he. Holmes scribbled a receipt upon the sheet of his notebook and handed it to him. And Mademoiselle's address, he asked, is Briony Lodge, Serpentine Avenue, St. John's Wood. Holmes took a note of it. One other question, said he. Was the photograph a cabinet? It was. Then, good night, your majesty, and I trust we shall soon have some good news for you. And good night, Watson, he added as the wheels of the royal brougham rolled down the street, if you will be good enough to call tomorrow afternoon at three o'clock. I should like to chat this little matter over with you. And that's the end of part one of The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes and the story called... Here we go. <laughs> Bear with me. I told you it was a long one. A Scandal in Bohemia. All right. Cool beans. Nice, nice. All right. Uh, let's see here. Where are we? There we go. That's going to do it for us for tonight. Uh, I've just got to do one little piece of business here. There we go. Okay. All right. I will see you again. What is this? Wednesday? Cool. Then I'll see you on Saturday night. We will continue on with the adventures of Sherlock Holmes, continuing the story from Bohemia. And uh, also we'll have lots of other weird and wonderful and sometimes things that tick me off because it happens. A lot more lately, by the way. <laughs> All right. Get out of here. Go away. Go do something important. Do a random act of kindness. That'd be the best deal. I'm the guy without the pants, Jay Sheldon. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>